The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. podcast we have another amazing episode today uh and actually we are interviewing someone but before we get to our guest let me introduce carrington hey 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 and carrington like i said we've got an awesome guest yes we do uh, some would excited. say oh how excited i'm like i'm so excited <laughs> i just came out it some would say that this man is an author. Some would say that this man is a voice actor. Some would say he could be a professor or a journalist. Some would say that he is, oh, captain, my captain. But I would say that he is probably just an all-around rad guy. With my crying daughter crying in the background. <laughs> Let me introduce Mr. Patrick Hickey Jr. What's up, guys? How you doing? <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, what's up, guys? How you doing? We're shaking. I feel like oh. I was just listening to a movie trailer just now. In a world where they just play movie trailers over and over and over again, <laughs> starring Robert De Niro and his mole when he curses out the president and his comb-over, starring Carrot Top as Robert De Niro. <laughs> I don't know. Dude, that made me happy. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and there goes my crying child. That's okay. Sorry, man. You just just give her a half a gallon of cough syrup. It'll come. Uh, yeah, I think she, she may have had a sit earlier or something. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. But uh, Patrick, it is uh, awesome having you on here. Yeah, man, a pleasure to be here. Like, uh, I'm a fan of you guys and what you guys do. So, uh, saw you on the uh, the old Twitter machine and figured I would uh, try and sell my wares on your uh, program. So happy that you guys allowed me to. Yeah. Um. So yeah, let's just let's get into this, man. Uh, sure. We mentioned that you know you're you're an author and uh, you're here to talk about your book. But before we get into that. Sure. Um, since we are a gaming podcast, maybe you can mm-hmm. tell us about your history in gaming. Like, did you always have an interest in gaming, or was it more of a recent thing? Uh, no, you know? no. Oh my god! Like, I've I've been playing video games. I've I'm 34. I'm going to be 35 in a couple of weeks, and I've been uh, I've been an avid reader since I'm about three and a half years old. Okay. And I and I've been playing video games since I'm about three as well. So it's like. Uh, when I was in kindergarten, I used to like I saw Ferris Bueller at a very young age, and I used to just fake being sick all the time, or I would just cry in front of the school, like my foot was shot to just go home and play Contra. So uh, it's oh, like wow. I've I've been I've been playing video games since like 1987, like nonstop. Um, I can kind of like trace every important like moment 
in my life to like a video game that I played that day. It's like uh, I own over 3,000 video games, over like 20 consoles. Uh, I've covered the video game industry as a journalist for over 15 years. So it's like I, I consider video games as one of the most important art forms in our culture, like a leading voice in pop culture. Like th this is like one of my favorite things in the entire world. So just backing up real quick, you said you yeah. have 3000 games. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I'm is married. Like I don't know how that happened, but you know, <laughs> is that like your current collection or is that just over time the games that you've bought? No, like, uh, we'll see the thing that that's great about being a video game journalist is like, now it's not now it's very different because now you just get download codes. So like I have about 3000 physical games, uh, download codes. I mean, I probably have like probably over a thousand to like every console, like that hard drive is maxed out and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I have not, there's a lot of guys out there that, um, when they move out, they don't take their, their games with them and their mom sells them at a yard sale and stuff yeah. like that. When mm -hmm. I, when I moved out, I took every single game that I've ever bought like after the age of 14 with me. So I have, I have games that are like older than my, my nephews and older than some of like my friends, you know? So, uh, yeah, I'm very, very lucky that, uh, I've, I've been able to like grow my, my console collection, like throughout my entire life and not get rid of stuff. Kudos to you, man. Cause like, it's hard. It's hard, yeah. man. Moving and stuff like that is such a and it's like, oh, uh, you know, when my wife uh, and I moved in together, then we had that conversation. She was like, oh, where are the games going to go? And I'm like, what do you mean where are they going to go? They're going to go in the living room so everyone can see them. And she's like, uh, and I'm like, all right, so what about like the stuff that I play? I'll just keep that stuff out. And the rest, like, we'll put in, like, bins, and they'll be organized and stuff like that in the closet. And she's like, all right. And then after, like, a couple of weeks, I was like, oh, well, I'm playing the Nintendo and, like, the Atari today. So, like, I'm just going to keep the games out. And then within a couple of weeks, I had pretty much all my stuff out. So, yeah, you know, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, I've tried collecting games in the past, and I buy physical copies and stuff. And eventually, I'm like, ah, I don't really even need these. And then eventually, it's trade them at the GameStop for three cents, and, and try to put it towards you know the next generation of gaming. But to be able to like hold a collection that big for that long, it's just that's that really is incredible. Yeah, I can't do it. It's like I remember um, when I was like 12 or 13. Um, Oh man, we had that moment where like uh, I got the Sony PlayStation. That was the first console that like I like paid for with my own money. Mm. And uh all the old Super Nintendo games and and Nintendo games and stuff like my dad's like, "Oh, let's trade them in and blah blah blah." blah. And uh, we did. And uh, oh, the feeling to get like a penny for Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. And I promised myself I promised myself after that that I would never ever do that again. I, so I, I have never, I have not traded in a game to any like GameStop, EB, Babbage's, like you name it. Like I have not traded in a game to one of those stores or any yeah. store for over 20 years. I refuse to. So it's like if I buy a game, it's because it has like historical value or because I want it or because it's a talking piece or something like that. So yeah. So it's like I try, I try to just like, the games that I get to review are one thing, but like the games that I actually buy, which is probably like, I would say I probably buy like five to 10 new games a year and probably about like, probably about like in between like a couple of hundred used games 
a, a year. Those they're all like for a reason. They're all important, you know. So it's like after writing the book um, and the announcement of the uh, the Retron seventy seven. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that, mm. but um, it's that HD Atari twenty six hundred that's coming out in a couple of months. Oh. Um, I've been stocking up on Atari twenty six hundred games, but I've been buying games by like developers that I have like a ton of respect for, like Rob Fulop and David Crane and Gary Kitchen and stuff. So. My wife will be like, like, why did you get this game? And I'm like, because Gary Kitchen's the man. And she's like, okay, whatever. I, I ask too many questions, you know. But uh, so yeah, I try not to buy crap. So yeah. Was there that moment through your playing games and such that you felt like, whoa, video games have hit that moment where these things can't be considered art. They're more than just this thing we can have fun. But it makes me think more about myself and the world uh, I live in and things like that like for me that that game was beyond good and evil that's why it's one of my favorite games of all time it's a beautiful game it's got it's got such like a sense of style it's uh it's polished I, I love beyond good and evil it's a great series um for me though um I would definitely say Final Fantasy 7 was important mm-hmm. um like when Aerith gets uh, stabbed through the chest by Sephiroth. That was like a huge moment for me. Um, playing Mario RPG for the first time and realizing like what the Super Nintendo soft, uh, hardware could do when pushed to its max. Um, Donkey Kong Country, Chrono Trigger. Um, and then even too, I remember um, playing Japanese uh, playing Japanese Super Nintendo games at one of my friend's house and playing like fire pro wrestling for the first time and realizing like, Oh my God, like this is a real wrestling game. This isn't like a stupid, like LJN, you know, <laughs> wrestling, wrestling game or something like that, you know? So it's like, I remember when I was a little kid, I used to watch a lot of wrestling and uh, professional wrestling and I used to trade tapes with people. And that's how I was introduced to like all these other territories and uh, like different wrestlers from other countries and stuff. And I feel like I kind of did the same thing, with video games i was lucky that i had friends from other parts of the world and like they would show me like oh this is uh they'll be like oh come over my house play nintendo and i, I saw like a famicom look like you know and wait what and, like yeah that's the nintendo just like from my country and i would be like okay you know and we would play you know their games and stuff and it was just like seeing how all of these people were affected by by games and just the storytelling devices and things like that. And it's just every console is so different and every developer puts their own stamp on these, on these games. And it's just like, it's so freaking cool, you know? So it's like, I try and explain to my wife, cause like I'm a huge Pokemon fan and my wife would be like, why? Like, why do you like Pokemon? And I told her, I was like, it's just like, imagine one day if your mom is just like, oh, go talk to this old guy and he's going to give you this like animal. And then just like, don't come back until you have eight badges. You know, it's like yeah. becoming you're becoming a man, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's it's a just, deeper story behind Pokemon right there. Yeah, man. It's like, you know, and then you first, when you first start start out, all you're catching is like freaking Pidgeys and Rattatas, you know, and it's just like it's so stupid. And then but all of a sudden the strategy and going through those caves for the first time and getting your ass kicked, you know, it's it's like the perfect game to play if you're like a 13 or 14 year old boy, because you're like coming into your own as, as a, as a man, like you're, you got hair growing in places you didn't expect and like that. And you're playing this game and your character is going through the same exact thing. You're developing into like this Pokemon master, you know, it's, these games are so much more than just 
kid stuff. And I love it because I'm a college professor. I'm the assistant director of the journalism program at Kingsborough Community College, you know, and I'm like, uh, today was, is, is, uh, I'm celebrating my, my decade of being a college professor. And, um, they're still like, I can't believe you wrote a book about video games. Like why video games? Oh my God. Like you're so smart. Why video games? I'm like, yes, I am smart. And people that play video games are very smart because video games are very smart. And they're just like, oh, you know, you could have wrote a book about music or film or blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, video games take it to a completely different level. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was wondering, because you mentioned that to me before we started recording um, about, you know, uh, being a professor. <coughs> are there students that you click with? Like, oh, yeah. Or is it's- everyone just still kind of confused with? The, well, why are you writing this, or why are you doing this? Why, why it's okay, it's okay, so more. great because it's like uh, on Monday, uh, my students asked me how my weekend was, and I, I was telling them that I had a particularly good time because I was getting a ton of gifts and Pokemon Go and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And they were like, "Oh, what's your code?" And by the end of class, I had like eight more friends in Pokemon Go, mm-hmm. and it's like it's so funny because uh, when they see my name in Pokemon Go, they're like, oh my God, like you own like every gym on campus. I'm like, yes, that is right. I'm like, don't forget it. I've had professors that were pissed off at me because they would walk by my office and see that like I was playing like uh, an emulator. Like I plug in my Xbox 360 and I'm playing like Berserk on Atari 2600 on my computer, mm-hmm. like in between classes and stuff like that. But it's like, they don't get it. You know, it's like, it's yeah. it's different. It's, it's different. If you're in your 50s, like... It's you went, went yeah you were like already in like your 20s and 30s when videos yeah. came out like i grew up with it you know it's like telling it's like telling somebody that's like in their 70s not to listen to the radio they grew up with the radio yeah. that is like their that was their main form of entertainment and even though like there's so many cooler forms of entertainment now that's the one that resonated with them the most and for me it's like yeah man you put a controller in my hands i am good i am gangster you know yeah I mean, it, it would be interesting just to sit people down, uh, older people that may not have had the same connection with uh, video games like we do nowadays, to have them sit down and play through Uncharted or something that's very story-driven, just to see, oh, what, yeah. you know, what's the reactions? Because, I mean, to me, that's that's better entertainment than a movie, personally. And I think it's it's money, like, better spent. Just Absolutely. Because you're, you're interacting, your brain's working. Yes. Uh, I, I used to tell my old boss all the time, uh, not my old boss. Uh, who did I used? To, I used to tell someone all the time. Uh, um, yeah, I can go home and watch TV at night before I go to sleep. But if I sit there and play games before I go to sleep, I feel like I'm doing something productive with my brain, and I'm in, in a way it's it's exercising, you know, muscle memory and stuff. I sleep so much better if I play video games for like a half hour before I go to sleep. Yeah. And I'm talking about real games. I'm not talking about mobile games and stuff like that. Right. You know, like if, if I play, like I'm playing West of Loathing a lot lately. Now I love that game. <laughs> and, uh, and, love uh, and, and Songbringer and yep. um, there's a couple of other games I'm playing on the Switch now. But even something as stupid as like WWE 2K18. If I play a couple of matches and I hit a couple of diamond cutters and stuff like that, um, I'm good. You know, and then I throw on like Adult Swim. I shut my brain off even further, and then I'm good to go. You know, and that's the thing. People yeah. of all ages and and occupations and races and religion, they all play video games now. Yep. It's so it's so different, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book too. Because it's like, if I ask you guys like who wrote Romeo and Romeo and Juliet, easy answer, right? Right. If I ask it's you guys. Yeah. 
Yeah. If I ask you guys who sang Thriller, easy answer, right? Right, Mike yeah. MJ himself. Mm-hmm. Michael who played oh, who played okay. <laughs> who played Captain America in the last Avengers movie? Yeah, Chris Evans, easy answer. Super easy, right? But if I ask you uh who who created Grand Theft Auto, what's your answer? I don't know actually. Yeah. I know if the I company you, that made it, but I don't know the dude. And see, that's the thing, though, too, because, like, the video game industry, when it first started, that's what it was all about. It was about, like, no, this is an Atari game. No, this is an Activision game. This is a da 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 And, like, they, the Japanese companies would would have credits at the end of their games, but they would have aliases because they didn't want other companies to poach their talent. So the thing is, you're playing all of these great games but you don't know the people that actually created them, what was going on in their lives, how long they worked on the game, what happened in their personal lives that may have affected the game. So that's what my book is all about. It's like, it's 36 chapters. It's 36 different games. And you find out like why the game matters, but then also who's the person that made it, what influenced them to create a game like this, you know? And I feel like this is something there are the video game, the video game book genre is booming lately. Everyone and their mother is writing a video game book right now, but a lot of them are reference books and encyclopedias and things like that. This is, this is real journalism written by a former Embry, uh, former NBC editor written by one of a former examiner writer that at one time was the most read video game critic in the entire country that just focused on writing interviews with creators of games. You know, so it's I'm trying to bring that history to people that like when I say E.T., the video game E.T., what's the first thing that pops up into your head? Crap. Yeah. One of the worst video games of all time. (laughs) Yeah. So the name of the chapter in my book is it's like E.T., the extraterrestrial, the greatest game of all time (laughs) created in five weeks. Because there's there's no game in that era that was ever that was made in that amount of time. Yeah. And the thing is, it sold like 1.5, 1.6 million copies. It's like the fifth or sixth best-selling game on the Atari. And that's just not... The guy that created it, Howard Scott Warshaw, is responsible for Raiders of the Lost Ark on the 2600, which was also a million seller, and Yars Revenge, which is considered one of the best original Atari games of all time. It was just in like the last season of The Walking Dead, one of the characters was playing it. But it's like, how many people are responsible for the best and worst of something. It's interesting you say that uh, because, you know, we do know the, the big game designers like Shigeru Miyamoto. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or, or even uh, in recent years, like Kojima. But uh-huh. for all the games that we love, that we, you know, say Fortnite, uh, that seems to be really popular right now, or mm-hmm. even something like Uncharted, like a Kyle Mujinoa, we don't know who made those people except for the companies that made them. We don't know the minds yep. behind them. So, with your yep. book in particular, was it hard to like catch up and find these people um, throughout, that have made these games throughout history? So, like, uh, I probably sent out like 150 pitches for the book, and uh, there's there's 36 games, but there's probably about in between 50 and 60 sources. So, uh, so I got like a a third of the people I contacted got back to me, which in journalism is insanely good because most of the time, like you have like a five to 10% chance that that person is going to get back to you. Mm -hmm. So um, these people were really receptive and like, I pitched them hard. 
I told them, like, yeah, this is my first book, but I've been doing, I've been writing interviews and video game journalism, and and I was an editor at NBC. I've been doing this stuff. Like, this is going to be something completely different that's out now, and I've got a good publisher and stuff like that. So they were really down. Um, The only people, the only no's I got were interesting ones. Uh, Nintendo did not want me to write about Pokemon, uh, which which pissed me off. but what happened was they they were really cool and they sent me like a 30 page pdf with like every single fact that you could ever like want to know about pokemon but the thing was i told them i was like listen this book is going to be different because if i was writing like one of those reference books that's already out i would be able to use all of these facts and write a chapter on pokemon mm-hmm. but the thing that's going to be different about my book is that it's mostly direct quotation with the creator it's all new interviews that, right. that are being done. So I'm like, thank you for this, but I like I can't use it. So that was one. Um, the creator of Tetris uh, has a lot of things in like the pipeline. They got a movie coming out and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So so they basically told me, um, don't don't write about Tetris at all in your book. Like, don't even mention Tetris in your book. So I naturally did mention Tetris in my book. <laughs> um, because uh, one of the uh, one of the programmers for uh, Road Rash, which is a phenomenal game on the Sega Genesis, mm-hmm. um, he oh, yeah. he was actually one of the programmers for like one of the ports, one of the Tetris ports. I think it was the NES version. So so Tetris is in the in the book, like it's mentioned in the book. So that was a nice big um, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> and then. Uh, I'm, I'm like Patrick Swayze, like in Roadhouse, you tell me no, and then you get the roundhouse, like Roadhouse, you know? Um, and then the other one was Donna Bailey, who was one of the women working in Atari in the 70s and the 80s. And I wanted to talk to her about Centipede, which is another phenomenal game. Mm-hmm. And she and she's super smart. She's a college professor and stuff. But she just retired, and uh, I'm pretty sure she's working on a memoir. So she saw what I was doing and was basically like, why am I going to tell you stuff when I got a whole book that I'm going to write? Mm-hmm. So that was fine. That makes sense. But, yeah. But everybody else was super, super receptive and super, super nice and, like, I tell people stories of like um, Mark Turmel, the creator of NBA Jam, is like, my wife was pregnant while I was writing the book, and we started talking, having these like long conversations about fatherhood and stuff. And he was just sending me pictures of his kid, and he's like such an amazing father, and like his kids are beautiful, and like he's like he's got like this great family, and it was he was giving me parenting advice, like awesome, awesome guy. And then um, Mike Scupa, who is the one of the co-creators of Bully, which is one of my favorite games on the PS2, an oh, amazing game. Yes. So like, uh, oh my God, he's like, he messages me while my wife is in labor and is like, dude, I just sent you the answers back. Like, da, 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 da. I hope everything's good. And I'm like, yeah, man, my wife's in labor. He's like, oh my God. He's like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, nah, it's okay. <laughs> and my wife's like, what are you doing? I'm like, Mike Scoop is messaging me. She's like, I don't care. Like, da, da, da. Yeah. But um, these guys are all awesome guys. Like there's, there wasn't like one stooge there. Some of them are eclectic. Um, some of them are a little like uh, odd bully, but like for the most part, they were all really cool and they all really wanted me to tell their story. So is there anyone in particular when they got back to you said yes and you got to speak with them and answer your questions that you literally peed your pants? Like, I cannot believe this is happening in my life right now. So like a game that was incredibly important to me growing up was uh, NHLPA 93, which is like the the father to the to NHL 94 and NHL 94 is the greatest hockey game of all time. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> and um, Michael Brook is, was the producer 
on that game and the original FIFA and the original Madden, like he's God to me. Wow. You know, and just quite the resume right there. Yeah. So I'm actually writing a sequel. You're you're the first people that I'm telling this, by the way. So it's like breaking news. Um, yeah, dude, it's exclusive. I'm gonna throw it so, background like newsletter. Real dudes exclusive. Um, <laughs> so I'm writing a sequel to the book, and I've got about 15 developers already. And I already reached out to Michael Brook, and I'm like, so we did NHLPA 93 slash NHL 94 for the first book. I'm like, we're gonna do the original Madden for the second book. And he's like, yeah, man, let's do it. I'm like, I love you. Oh my gosh, that's yeah, amazing. That's crazy. But it's like just talking to him about like my favorite game of all time. We were on the phone for like an hour, just bullshitting. And then we we sent I sent him a couple of emails with some more questions and stuff like that. And uh all of these guys, when I was done with the chapter, I did something very like different than I would do if I was a journalist and uh, when I was a journalist and I still am a journalist, when you interview somebody after the article, after you're finished writing the article, you don't show it to them before you publish it. That's like a big no, no, you know, Mm -hmm. because the thing is they're supposed to be like, when someone agrees to do an interview with you, it's like, they're, they're basically saying, I trust you to tell like the right story. You know, it's like kind of like an oath in a way, but like, I wanted this book to like sparkle and shine. So like after I finished a chapter, I would send it to them and I would be like, listen, I'm not asking you to edit it. I'm not asking you to proofread it. I'm not asking you to do any of that stuff. I want you to just look at the quotes and like what I'm quoting you from by say what I'm quoting you saying and the context that I'm creating. And I want to know if it's 100% factually correct. I want to make sure that I'm not stretching anything. And uh, all of them said yes. Like I, there's not one like weak chapter in this book, but like Michael Brook was. Uh, Michael Brook is like such a he pays such a t- attention to detail that he, like I would say something like oh NHL PA93 was the first NHL game to feature like real players and then he would message me back and go it also was the first game to feature the pictures of those players and I'm like ah see okay good you know so it's like he was like a real like stickler for getting things right and then when I would talk to another developer that maybe wasn't such a stickler like the Michael Brook conversations that i had kind of like came through and it made me like be that more much more thorough you know so getting an opportunity to talk to him was super awesome and it's like um there's a guy his name is arda okal he uh, works for msg networks he used to work for the wwe he used to cover like the toronto marlies he's an awesome journalist and uh he interviewed me for the book and I- I know, like, he's a super gamer, he's really good, but he's a world record holder in NHL 94 as well, and uh, one of the main reasons why he wanted to interview me is because I talked to Michael Brook, so it's like, being able to, like, have that interview done early really helped me push the book, like, because, I mean, I've been doing interviews for this book, like, six months before I was finished writing it, like, I've been pushing this baby hard for a long time, Mm -hmm. and uh, being able to get that, that interview nailed down and also when I pitched other developers, when they saw that like Mike was talking to me, they were like, yeah, man, like, oh, I know this guy. I know that guy. So that was probably one of my favorite interviews that I did. So I don't know if we mentioned the actual title of the book. Yeah. Yet. Um, mm-hmm. Before we go any further, I just kind of, you know, just let our audience know. Uh, sure. The book that we are talking about is The Minds Behind Games. Behind the games, yeah. Yeah, behind the games. I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, interviews with cult and classic video game developers. Yeah. Um. And so right now you're talking about uh, 
you know, contacting different developers and interviewing with different people. Mm-hmm. Was the was the process difficult getting in contact with these developers and getting appointments set up, or was it you know easier than what you would have expected it to be? Because you said you you sent out quite a bit of emails to different people. You know what it is? It's like I'm the type of person I remember when I was in my interview for uh, NBC to be an editor at NBC. I was like two weeks away from graduating graduate uh, graduate school, getting my master's and stuff like that. And I was I looked around the office and there were people from NYU, Columbia, Mizzou, and I'm this Brooklyn kid. You know, mm-hmm. um, the six foot four, 320 pound, like defensive lineman. That's, that's a writer, you know? And, uh, I felt so out of place. And then when I got into the office, they were like, why, why you? And I, I, I told them flat out, I looked the guy dead in the eyes and I was like, because I'll run through a wall for this job, mm-hmm. you know? And at the end of it, they were like, Oh, can you start on the fourth? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. And they're like, Oh, we'll call you. And I remember going home. And I told my wife, I was like, oh, they said, you know, they'll call me like the first week of January. And she's like, you know, I'm sure you did good, but they they probably just say that to everybody, you know, da, da, da. And then like January 2nd, they're like, can you come in on the 4th? I'm like, I could come in right now. And they're like, no, 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 you can come in the 4th. But um, I, I tackled this book the same exact way, you know? So it was just like if, for example, Michael Brook, I think he was like, oh, yeah, I could talk like December 23rd or whatever at like 3 p.m. Is that okay? And I, and I would look and I'm like, okay, I'm on winter break, you know? Yeah. So I'm not teaching. So I will make sure that, like, I am free. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I interviewed Howard Scott Warshaw at, like, 11 o'clock at night, my time in my kitchen while my wife was sleeping. You know, like, I did – I told him, whatever your schedule is, however I can accommodate you, however I can make you most comfortable. Some of the developers were like, listen – like, I don't really feel like talking on the phone. Can we do it through email and stuff like that? And I would tell them, like, as long as we can verify that it's you, you know, yeah. then then that's fine. You know, and I contacted so many of these guys through LinkedIn and, uh, you know, and like Facebook. And I knew that they were like friends with other people. So like everyone, everyone's 100% verified and stuff like that. But like, I, I really like went out of my way to make them feel comfortable. And the reason why I went out of my way to make them feel really comfortable is because I am a huge huge pain in the like can i send you questions sure first round of questions they send me back like two thousand words i'm like okay i got like five more questions for you oh okay then they answer those you know what okay so you said this so what did did you mean this or did you mean so it's like i'm a huge pain in the so like a lot of these guys were probably like why did i say yes to this guy but then when when everything was finished like I'm really proud of this, you know, and there, there wasn't like one person that I interviewed that after never spoke to me ever again, you know? So it's like, I still keep in contact with these guys and like, they're sending me pictures of them holding the book and stuff. It just feels like, it feels great. Like David Crane, the creator of Pitfall, mm-hmm. like sent, sent me a picture the other day of him holding the book. I'm like, that's yeah. amazing, you know? So it's like, it was hard, but it's like, I just put my head down and this was something that I really wanted to do. Um, I wanted to, I wanted my daughter to be able to tell people like, yeah, my dad plays video games like your dad, but my dad like wrote a book about video games, you know, like I wanted her to be like, I didn't want her to think about video games the way so many other people think about it, that it's kid stuff. And uh, that's the thing too. I'm a college professor, but it's written in a very, very down to earth style super casual reading like you don't have to read it from the first chapter to the last like the guy that wrote the forward for my book brett weiss who's amazing he writes 
he writes top notch like reference books like he's written encyclopedias on kiss the band mm-hmm. like um he's written like guides like one of one of his guides is like um top video games 1977 to 1987 and it's just like games some games that you have never heard of but when you're done reading it you're like yeah I'm buy that like he's so good and uh he messaged me like a month ago because the book's only been out for two months. He messaged me like a month ago and he's like, oh, I just went right to this chapter. And I'm like, awesome, because that's what I want. Nobody, nobody reads the way that they should anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like if you're going to write a book, you have to write a book that is as accessible to people as possible. So this is like the type of book that like if you're in the bathroom and you've had a little bit too much chili and you're in there for a little while and you want to read something. Yeah. You could read a chapter in like five or six minutes. If you're on the cool. train and you want something cool to read, like on the way to work, it works good. Like if you're in your office and you got 10 minutes to spare and you just want to chill out and read something, really good. But at the same time, too, if you want to sit back and read for like two hours, you could probably read, you know, four or five, you know, chapters and really like get a good understanding of them. So I, I wanted to engage people that weren't necessarily fans of video games with the people that created them but then at the same time too i wanted to further educate you know hardcore gamers because like i said before you guys are hardcore gamers and when i said et and you said all that stuff after you read the chapter you'll you'll kind of be like holy crap man like the internet sucks they like almost ruined this guy yeah you know so that's kind of what i wanted a lot of the people that we do talk to they're you know game developers music composers Mm -hmm. um, this is a little different format for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you, you know, be an author and writing a book? I mean, I guess the same thing is, I mean, you, you, everyone's kind of writing something, but when it comes to writing a book, like what was the most challenging part for you? Um, oof, I remember um, the introduction to my book was a little bit more angry. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Like my publisher told me like, Oh, you know, you should kind of like tone it down because it's like when I was at NBC, I used to cover all of these like press junk uh, junkets all the time. It would be like, oh, Last of Us is announced. Sony's having a press conference, you know, like in the city, go cover it, you know, and I would. And a lot of video game journalists, they're not like the nicest people. And uh, th- they think they know everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, if there's like free food and free drinks, like before the press conference has even started, all the food and drinks are gone, you know. And it's like, uh, these are the people that like write like this game sucks. And then so many people won't even play the game. They'll just say, oh, well, IGN or Games- uh, GameSpot or like Kotaku or Polygon, they said the game yeah. sucks, you know. And it's like, even though I work for NBC and Examiner and I reviewed a lot of games, I, I never tried to like, I always tried to be as honest as possible. And like, yeah. I was never like a sucker for like, the glitz and glam of like game critique. Like I remember one time I was in LA covering an event um, from uh, I was in LA covering a 2k event. It was like for WWE 2k 14 or something like that. And uh, 2k paid for my hotel. They paid for my food. They paid for my flight and stuff like that. And I'll never forget like leaving. Like I almost missed my flight because half the journalists that were supposed to be on my shuttle were all based. You know, mm-hmm. like there was a party the night before and like we were all it was like SummerSlam. It was a SummerSlam when uh, Daniel Bryan won the title and then Randy Orton cashed in, you know, and like stole the title from him. it was a great night. But I remember when the event was over, I walked from the Staples Center back to my hotel and I wrote a review of SummerSlam and I, I got to play 2K14 a little bit more. So I, I finished up my feature on it and then I went to bed because I had to be up at like 630 to be on the shuttle 
And there was still a party going on that they invited us to, but I didn't go because I had work to do and I didn't want to miss my flight. And I'm sitting in the shuttle for like a long time. And these guys, they ended up getting in the shuttle and they were completely faced. And I'm like, you guys should be ashamed of yourself. You know, so like in my introduction, it was more like I, I said, I, I'm writing this book because like I feel like video game journalism needs to be so much more serious, you know, like it, it needs to be taken so much more seriously. And the people that write video game critique need to understand how important their words are and how important that and how important the creators of this business are that they don't mention. Yeah, you know, they just they they'll they'll talk about a game, but then they don't realize that somebody made it, and they don't understand like why the person made it. They're, oh, well, it's not fun to play. Okay, yeah, it's not fun to play, but like, why don't you talk to the the, the uh, developer and find out maybe it's not supposed to be fun to play. Yeah, you know, was, maybe you know, good. Huh. Well, I was just gonna say, you know, you mentioned about them all being trashed. Like, it almost makes you wonder. Uh, if any of these games that are getting reviewed are being played at their house, not the office. And if, mm-hmm. if yeah. you know, they're drinking while they're playing or if, you know, they're, not, I mean, I won't go further than that, but sure. you know, there's any, some, any kind of influence behind their, you know, their mind while they're playing the game. And if that, you know, creates a negative effect for their gameplay or adds for positive or something. Sure. You know? So it was like, in my introduction, I was just saying all that stuff and my publisher was like, Oh, why don't you, why don't you tone it down just like a tiny, tiny bit? So I did a little bit. And that that was like, that was the hardest part because that was just like away from like wanting to like add something to like, you know, the world. I mean, that's why everyone writes a book to add their conversation, their, their, their opinion to like the world, you know? But um, I wanted to, I wanted people to, to know that like, the minds behind the games, like the people that create these games are just as important, but we get so lost in like the the score a game gets on Metacritic, you know, and how many views the trailer got yeah. and all of that stuff. And all of that stuff is like secondary because at the end of the day, it's art. Yeah. It's like when you think about it, like Da Vinci, Michelangelo, all the Ninja Turtles, all the great artists, you know, like they didn't become like megastars until like years after their death. And like, I'm telling you guys, man, 50, 60 years from now, people are still going to be talking about like Mario Brothers. They're still going to be talking about Grand Theft Auto. They're still going to be talking about um, Donkey Kong, you know? I mean, you even look at Mario Brothers, like the original Mario Brothers. They've been out for, what, almost 30 years now? Yeah, longer, longer than that. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, they're still talking about it. Yeah. That's going to be a piece of history that is never going to be written off. Mm hmm. So that's that's kind of like once I got that out of my system, that was fine because that's the thing too. The way I told you guys, the way the book is written, it's like each chapter is about like four, three three thousand words and change. So it's like it's easy to jump in, read a chapter, and get to the next. So it's like I write features like that all the time. So this it was just a matter of me putting all of those things together, coming up with a decent order, like a good like a good order for like the chapters to be and stuff like that, and. Uh, so it was fluid. Once I got all of my sources that I needed, the rest was fluid. Then it was just me writing nonstop on the bus on the way to work, like in between classes on my way home when my wife would fall asleep. And I just wrote my stuff until I finished it. So like it was a pretty fluid process. So I, I mean, this was something that I always wanted to write and writing it was like an 
absolute joy because it's like each chapter I was finding out stuff about these games that I didn't even know. And I told you about my collection and how long I've been working in the video game industry and stuff. And I found out stuff that I didn't even know. So it was like, it was so much for me to say, it was so much like in my heart to go like, Oh my God, I can't wait for people to read this. Like me reading this for like the fifth or sixth time. It's still, it's still having an effect on me, you know? So. I do want to kind of go back really quick. Um, Sure. You said you mentioned you had a daughter. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about this with other people who have had kids on the show before. Um, mm-hmm. When you teach your daughter uh, video games and, and your love for them, are you going to teach her like from the beginning of video game history and work her way up to whatever is going on right now? Or are you going to start off with uh, whatever is popular at the time and try and teach her to do something like that? Well, it's like she's already, it's like I was talking about this like before we started to record. And, uh, I said, like, I tried to get her to play my Switch a couple of times, but, like, uh, she's only 15 months. She's going to be 16 months in a couple of days. So, like, she liked holding the Switch, but she almost dropped it. She almost threw it and stuff. So I was like, you know what? I'm like, we're going to try something a little bit safer. So I've got one of those old clamshell Game Boy Advance SPs, and I have, like, those uh, those multi-carts that have, like, 150 games on it. Mm-hmm. So I, ju- I just fired it up. Uh, the original Mario Brothers and like the original Mega Man and stuff. And she just her pressing the button and seeing the character jump, she like bugged out. She was like, this is like really cool. So I'm definitely going to take her on a tour from like the beginning of video game history. And that's one of the reasons why like I want the Retron 77 when it comes out, because like getting a chance to replay all of those Atari 2600 games in HD Oh my god, I'm like super excited. Like I want to play Berserk again on my big screen TV so bad. Like I want to play the original Donkey Kong on Atari 2600 so bad. It's it's like that stuff never gets old for me. And that's why I try and tell my nephews and and like my students that are into video games and stuff. I'm like if you're a true gamer, you don't have any brand loyalty. You're not a fanboy at all. Mm-hmm. You know, you you go where the games are. And it's like I tell people this all the time like Super Nintendo and Sega was rough because those guys were like neck and neck, you mm-hmm. know, but then it was like the Sony PlayStation, like away from the wrestling games on the Nintendo 64, I was like a PlayStation guy, you know, yeah. but then like PlayStation 2 was an amazing system, but like the GameCube had some good games and you know what, I played them and like, I love the Dreamcast, I played the shit out of the Dreamcast and like the games were so easy to, to, <clears throat> to pirate and, um, <laughs> you know, and, but, but then like, PlayStation 3 to me was like a bit of a letdown and the Xbox 360 was just this amazing console, you know? And then now we get to the PS4, Xbox One and I'm not really an Xbox One guy. I love the PS4, but listen, there's some games on the Xbox One that I really enjoyed. Sunset Overdrive is one, you know, like, uh, and now the Switch. Oh my God, this I love the Switch. I take it with me all the time. You know, like if I could glue it to my heart, I would, you know? But I just, that's what I'm going to do with my daughter. And it's, I told my wife, it's going to cost us a lot of money, but what, who cares? Like you never have enough money. You know, I'm, I make, I make more money now than I ever thought that I ever would like growing up. Like my dad was a fire inspector. We were like low middle class. We weren't even poor. We were po like we couldn't afford the O and the R, you know, <laughs> like it was like, a, it was like a ghost face, ghost face killer song. Like we were plucking roaches out the cereal box, you know? And it's like, uh, we never had enough money, but we played video games and like we threw the baseball around and like we played hockey together and stuff and all of those things, that time spent together, that was the most important thing, you know? And it's like, 
when she gets older, we're going to spend a lot of time together doing all like cool stuff. But like video games is definitely one of those parts. I remember when I was a kid, and even when I got older and my dad and I didn't game that much together anymore. Christmas Eve, like everyone was just hanging around the house and I would be like, yo, let's play some Hogan's Alley, you know, on the NES. Like, let's break out the light guns, you know, like, or let's play WCW NWO Revenge on 64 or, oh, let's play House of the Dead, you know, like. Those are moments that I'll never, ever forget. And if I don't introduce my daughter to those things, I'm like the worst father in the world. I completely understand. I I don't have any kids myself at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. Enjoy but, it now. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Um, but I do remember what you were saying, like the, those memories I have with my dad. I mean, he even listens sure. to this show on a regular mm-hmm. basis. Um, and it's in part because of that relationship that me, my brother, and my dad have when we were growing Absolutely. up. Uh, playing games together even if they were single player games we would take turns and Mm -hmm. and just have a good time and i think that's the beautiful thing about video games it brings people together in a way that the way sports can the way movies can or or whatever some of the games featured in the book were directly because my father and i played them with each other you know like super battle tank is not the best game in the world on the super nintendo it's a good game it sold well you know but like my dad was obsessed with like military history and like during desert storm my dad was like look at america he's like look at our country man we are kicking we are a fine oiled machine you know and like him playing games like desert strike and super battle tank that was like his way in a weird way of like supporting the country mm-hmm. you know and like just getting an opportunity to watch him play those games and then too i mean desert strike is such a beautifully designed game like if if you guys read the read that chapter in the book like the guy that created desert strike mike Pasane, is a freaking genius like what he was able to do like the trip hawkins the founder of ea is just basically like uh oh well i like choplifter so if you can make a game that's kind of like Choplifter and then he just turned Choplifter on its head and made something completely different, you know? And then Super Battle Tank, like, I'm not sure if you guys know this or if you guys read the chapter, but like um, uh, The Edge from U2, Mm-hmm. He used to he used to play Super Battle Tank like in front of everyone like during their concerts like he would play it on the stage. Oh, that's cool! And he would just be like, "This game's like so rad! It's like killing all <laughs> of these people," and you know. So it's like these games have all had an impact on people, celebrities too, you know. So, oh, yeah. um, I had to tell those stories, you know. So and again, like finding out from like the creators of these games, some of like the deep, dark secrets or like just sometimes really fun moments in the history of these games. Like um, Boy and His Blob on the Genesis was developed uh, on, the, on the Genesis, on the Nintendo. I'm sorry, the Nintendo Entertainment System. Um, it was developed in six weeks, which is crazy. But um, what happened was uh, I'm not sure if you guys have played that game before. But uh, you have to feed this blob like jelly beans and then it transforms into stuff for you to get to like different parts of the level. But what happens is like at certain parts of the game, like you could lose your blob, like your blob follows you around, but sometimes you lose him. So it's kind of annoying, but it was like it happened. So you would kind of have to die or reset the game or whatever. And uh, what happened was Nintendo, the people at Nintendo love the game. And what happened was one of like the big honchos in Nintendo was like, listen, this game would be like perfect if you fix that, if you found a way to make the blob catch up to like the player. So they sent the ROM back to like Gary Kitchen and David Crane. And they were like, you need to find a way to fix this or we're not going to release your game. Huh. 
and this is like back in the day back in the day um if you if you wanted to make money with a game you released it like right around thanksgiving because everyone would put it on their christmas list and you know so they they literally designed the game in six weeks it's a masterpiece it's a super cool game um super ahead of its time the the wii the wii version like uh that was released a couple years ago is such a beautiful tribute to it but um they had to go back and they had to create a new jelly bean and they ended up being wise about it and they made it a ketchup flavored jelly bean so the when you feed the ketchup uh jelly bean to the blob he catches up to the player so they it ended up working out good but finding out all of these like little things about all of the games that i played growing up that was like one of my favorite things and the fact that like now people get to share these stories with their kids and i get to share it with my daughter i mean that's like the reason why i wrote the book yeah and i know you like to tell stories a lot so there's a story i'm particularly interested in and Mm -hmm. how you got involved with relentless ranks Okay. So, um, it's like kind of like a two part story. So the thing is, it's like, I've been, I've been doing voices throughout like this entire podcast. And, uh, one of the reasons why is because like growing up, I used to listen to the jerky boys like all the time. Um, if you guys aren't familiar with the jerky boys, they're these two guys that made a ton of money in the mid nineties making prank phone calls. Um, both of their albums went, uh, both, all three of their albums went, uh, platinum. These guys were maniacs. Um, Johnny Brennan is the voice of, uh, Mort Goldman on, uh, Family Guy. Like, hello, hello, hi, that guy. Um, and, uh, I've always done voices. I've always made prank phone calls. I've always screwed around with people doing voices and stuff like that. And, uh, people have always told me like, oh, you should get into voice acting. You should get into voice acting. And I just didn't know how to break into it. Um, so like writing this book, like I have, I had already interviewed like hundreds of game developers before writing this book, but like writing this book, it's like, I took that to the next level and I learned so much more about the video game industry. And then I'll never forget, like, um, it was like in August of last year, I came across this game called the Padre on, uh, Twitter. And it was basically like a voxelized priest. It looked like a priest from like Minecraft. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was getting like slapped in the face by like this tree. Like the tree was like animated and slapped him across the face. So I pitched the guy to like do an interview with him for my site, reviewfix.com. So I do the interview and I'm like the first person to ever interview these guys. And they're super nice and stuff. So they're like, oh, do you want to play the game? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Of course. I'll never turn down a free Steam code. I'll try anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Um so I'm playing the game and I'm just like, oh my God, this is like the original, like lo- alone in the dark, the, but it, but it looks like Minecraft. I'm like, this mm-hmm. is really cool. But I realized like that the, the dialogue in the game, it needed to be edited. Like English wasn't their first language. And it was like, it wasn't obvious, but like to me, because I'm an English professor, I'm an English and journalism professor and I have my master's degree in journalism. I'm like, if these guys tightened up this dialogue a little bit more, this game would be even better, you know? Mm-hmm. So I had a conversation with my wife and I'm like, should I ask them? And she's like, yeah, do it. So I, I told them like, listen, if you want me to edit the dialogue in this game, let's talk. And they did. And we came up with a price. So I, I, I did it in like three days. I like fell in love. With, I was already in love with the game because it was really pretty. But uh, I, I read through all the dialogue in the game and I edited all of it. So now I'm like a member of the team. So now like the, the game's still in development and they're still sending me dialogue and I'm editing it and stuff. And they're like, dude, you work really fast. I'm like, cause I'm a journalist. I'm like, if you give me a deadline, I crush it, blah, 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 blah. So now we're getting ready to go to Kickstarter and they're like, um, our voice actor left. Hmm. And I'm like, I'm like, that's okay. And they're like, what do you mean? 
And I'm like, listen, I'm like, this game is about a priest that gets like trapped inside of a mansion that has like zombies and all this stuff and this whole occult thing going on like this this whole mansion has like this crazy backstory you know it's like this really scary game and uh i'm like the guy's voice is like too like nice he's like oh hello i'm english it's like a russell brand wacky english man you know I'm like it need the guy that does his voice needs to have some more bass in his voice. Mm-hmm. And they're like they're like you think you could do something? I'm like absolutely. So then I go in my man cave and I'm just like I got my hands like on the top of my head and I'm rubbing them and I'm just like, all right Pat you got to think of something. So now I'm like I love Jeremy Irons. Yeah. I love like that 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 really deep English baritone. And I'm like what if I combine like that wacky English man's voice, you know, with uh the movie voice that I do, like the Don LaFontaine, Pablo Francisco, mm-hmm. like in a world, one man, blah, blah, blah. And then, so then I came up with, hello, my name is Alexander and I am the Padre. <laughs> so I just did all the lines and I sent them to the, I sent the lines to them and they just, they fell in love, you know? And within like an hour, they're like, can you record all the lines and send them to me? Like to us. And I'm like, yeah so i did and then it's like i'm starring in a game oh my god so then naturally um i don't want to be a one-hit wonder of course of course you know i don't want to be known as the like the padre i mean i do but i I don't want that to be the only game that i do so oh the first time i saw relentless rex i was blown away visually because i'm like such a sucker for cell shaded like hand drawn animation and uh i watched the trailer and i'm like this game is so pretty and uh i knew that kevin was a one-man band doing it by himself and it just resonated with so many of the people that i've interviewed for my book were doing this by themselves and it's like i know how much work goes into it and uh, he was posting on like Instagram and Twitter, like the voices that he wanted, like the people that he would want to be like Relentless Rex. And uh, one of them was Kevin Michael Richardson, who I love. I think he's amazing. He's a great and uh, absolutely. So I, I messaged Kevin a lot <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I can do it. And then I even got like, there's a guy, his name's Jim Kesselring. He's a former developer on EverQuest who runs this great site called Razor's Edge. And uh, he just, he does a lot of the same stuff that I do on Review Fix. Like he, he interviews a ton of indie game developers just to spread the word mm-hmm. about their games and help them and stuff like that. And, and Jim talks to Kevin and I went to Jim. I'm like, Jim, I really want this part. And he was like, so do it. He's like, contact him. I'm like, I did. I was like, but... I'm like, if you could whisper in his ear or something like that. And he goes, even better. So he like posted on Twitter. He's like, oh, I know the perfect voice for Relentless Rex, Patrick Hickey, you know? And he posted like a link to like the Padre and stuff, which Kevin had already seen, Mm -hmm. you know, because I sent it and I was busting his bulls. But like, it started getting retweets. And like, it started getting retweets from people that I didn't even know. And I'm like, I guess the Padre like affected more people. Like the Padre has a nice following on Discord and like people send me fan art and stuff like that. And like mm-hmm. I've spoken at a bunch of panels and people come over to me and stuff and it's really cool. But um, you know, it's an indie game and you like you never know that. So then Kevin goes to me, he's like, uh, I'll send you 
I'll send you some lines. Like, let's see what you can do. And uh, I just want to let you guys know too, though, that like uh, there really is a Rex. There is a dinosaur that like Kevin works for. You I know? believe it. I, I mean, we heard that you interview. Know? It, yeah. Yes. Awesome. yeah. And uh, he's got he's got a really sore throat. He's kind of got like. Uh, what the old singer from Cinderella has, like he's got some like, you know, polyps on his vocal cords and stuff. And Kevin just needed somebody to like fill in for him, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, I was tasked, I was tasked with that job. So basically what I did was, um, I listened to a lot of Kevin Michael Richardson and I didn't want to be a ripoff. So what I decided to do is like, like I did for the Padre combine two voices. Um, I tried to combine like Arnold Schwarzenegger with super shredder. And, uh, that's when I got like villainous Rex. I'm here. I am here to eat you, you know? And, um, the first time I did it, man, I'm not going to lie. Holy what it did to my throat. Oh my God. My throat was on fire. Oh my God. But it sounded great. I was super proud of it, you know? Mm -hmm. So then it was just like, uh, I was just walking around. Like I walk my dog like five or six times a day. He's like a little maniac. He's like, he's got a Marcus territory. So it's like, I got to make sure that like he goes out and he's like completely empty before like I go to bed every night. And it's like, you know, 11 o'clock at night and I'm walking like on a busy street going, I am relentless Rex. (laughs) I will eat you. You puny human, you know? And after like a couple of days, like it didn't hurt anymore. And it was like completely natural. And I could go from my regular voice to, to the pool. Oh, see, I've <laughs> to the poultry, the relentless Rex, like all like one after another. And, um, Kevin messaged me back and he was like, I really like it. It's growing on me. Da, 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 da. And then we were informed that like Rex, like his throat problems were a little bit more serious than we needed. So then, 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 you know, we expected. So, Kevin asked me to fill in for him and do all the Kickstarter stuff. And mm-hmm. we, I did some podcasts and stuff like that. And the thing that was great was like the first podcast that we did, like it was kind of like prearranged, like um, we knew the questions that were going to come and stuff like that. So it was like a big, like elaborate production and it was cute. I was kind of like reading like a script, but then like I'm very quick and I like to improv yeah. and um I started adding stuff because I thought it would be funnier. And like when we got off, I was, I didn't know what Kevin was going to say. And Kevin was like, Kevin was like, dude, you killed it. He's like, that's, he goes, you just added all that stuff and blah, 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 blah. So then the next podcast that we had to do, um, those people were like, yo, we're just going to like free swing it. And Kevin was like, oh my God. But like, what, like Kevin wrote a whole bunch of stuff. And I was like, dude, we're going to be okay. Like, we're going to be okay. And then uh, I love that podcast. I think that was the one that you guys listened to. And yeah. uh, I was just, I was all over the place. Like, and the thing was, too, they edited some of the stuff out. Like, I made a couple of Trump, uh, Trump references and stuff like that. Like, oh, my God, I was so freaking funny. And uh, Kevin and I have, like, really good creative synergy with one another. Like, mm-hmm we're really honest with each other and that's the thing too the internet like so many people are quick to talk you know crap about the internet but it's like i never met this guy in person we've had we've spoken on twitter 
for hours. We've spoken on Facebook for hours. He sent me pictures of like his family. I've sent him pictures of my family and stuff. I really like the guy a lot. I think he's a great guy and I totally believe in his creative vision. He's such a hard worker, you know, like all of this animation is claw drawn. I mean, hand drawn, um, you know, and, um, he is like super duper talented. And I told him, I was like, listen, I will do whatever I have to do to help you. And it's like, as far as like my book goes, like I've marketed my book all by myself. I've learned a lot. Like I've been interviewed by Huffington post WGN radio Forbes, the New York daily news, the Chinese uh, China uh, post standard, like all over the, all by myself. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I told him, I'm like, whatever I can do to help you get interviews and to help promote your, your vision. Like I'm totally down for it. Then that's kind of like, where I'm at, like in terms of like being a voice actor, like if somebody hires me to like be a voice actor, I tell them all the time, like you're not just getting a voice actor, you're getting someone that understands the video game industry, that understands the development process, that will be able to edit stuff for you, that will be able to help you with press releases, that will be able to help you with interviews, like I am your advocate, like you guys are like Brock Lesnar and I'm Paul Heyman, you know, so uh, yeah, working with Kevin was just like, in the beginning, it was like, I didn't know if I was going to get it. And it was like eating at me for days. I'm like, I want this role so bad. I need it. I need it. You know, and when he said yes, and we started doing podcasts together and it like actually everything started coming together. Like I loved working on the Padre and I'm, I still am like the game's about to go gold soon. But uh, like working with Kevin has been like completely awesome for a bunch of completely different reasons, you know? Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that is really, like, just, just your whole journey in general is super interesting, and, like, you know, you, you still have a long, well, let's say, I don't know if that's negative sounding, a long way to go, but, it, like, there's, there's I don't see uh, an end in your journey for a, for a while. It, get, it gets even better, too, if you guys, like, want to hear, like, one more part, like, if yeah. you guys, okay, bring so. Bring it on. Bring it on. So, so, like, in between, like, the Padre and, um relentless rex i'm doing and i still am like right now doing podcasts for the book and um i was on a podcast um with pete paquette who is an who was an animator and still is he's an animator on overwatch now mm -hmm. and uh, he was an animator on madden 18 he was an animator on gladius he was an animator on bioshock infinite like this guy is he's awesome he was and also he was an animator on like the ice age movies robots like this guy's resume speaks for itself so i'm on his podcast and jeff gabor is on his podcast too so like jeff gabor has done all the ice age movies um rio peanuts like he's animation royalty oh, wow. also yeah and uh we had this like really cool like hour and 45 minute podcast and when it was over pete like reaches out to me on facebook and he's just like listen like if you're interested in like getting involved in the gaming industry like more like let me know i'm like I'm telling you right now. Yeah, I am. So a couple of weeks went by and he told me that he had this idea for uh, a first person shooter that he wanted to do. And uh, him and his brother were going to be like the two creative leads for it. And uh, he was like, if you want, if you're interested and I'm like, right away, I'm like, yes. And he goes, okay. So like, you know, we'll, we'll meet up, we'll have a conference call and stuff like that. And I'm like, great. But the thing is too, you know, I've worked in business for quite some time. Like academia is the same way. What people say and people do are two completely different things. So I'm like, until it happens, I'm not going to like count my chickens, you know, count my eggs or whatever. But Pete's a man of his word. And like two weeks later, he's like, are you ready? I'm like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. so, so like his brother worked on um, 
this really cool zombies game on like the Microsoft version of like the Oculus. So he's super talented too. And he's like the game's main engineer. So they pitched me this, uh, this intergalactic, like this, it's kind of like dead space meets like 70s sci-fi camp and like Metroid. And like, it's, it's, the idea is super crazy. So they pitched me, they pitched me this idea and, uh, I'm just like, okay, so like, it sounds like you kind of have like an idea. What do you, and they're like, okay, so they're like, we just gave you an idea, but we want you to write the actual thing. Like, we want you to write, we want you to create the characters that live in this world. We want you to name the characters. We want you to write the plot. We want you to do, we want you to write this entire thing. And I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah. So then I'm like, okay, all right. So, I mean, I'm a nonfiction writer. I'm a journalist, you know? So then it's just like I just hunkered down and um, I started writing it. And then they, I send them stuff. Like every week I send them stuff and then they'll critique it and then we'll fine tune. But like we have like 70% of the game written already. Wow. You know, it's pretty crazy. And the thing is too, like on our team right now. So like I told you Pete's resume, mm-hmm. but like there are, and I'm not going to give too much away because like we're still like, we only have like a couple of like scenes laid out and stuff like that. But uh, we have team members that have worked on Sunset Overdrive on Xbox One. We have wow. somebody on our team that just finished working on The Last God of War. Wow. So, like, oh yeah, like, this this game is, is think of, like, all-star team. Yeah, it's, like, think of, uh, oh, my God, I just forgot the name of the first-person shooter. What's the cel-shaded first-person shooter that's kind of, like, Fallout, but it's really funny with Claptrap? Borderlands. Uh, yeah. So it's, like, imagine, like kind of like that low poly look of borderlands but on a spaceship mixed with like 70s like sci-fi like the original battlestar galactica that's kind of like what's going on it's i'm telling you like i'm super proud to be a part of this and it's like if you go to treason and space like we have some of the like some of the background information like like kind of give people like a taste of the game um but also too in addition to writing the uh the story i'm also voicing the uh He's not the main character, but he has like the most lines. He's like the sidekick. So I, I he's a out he's an outdated service bot, and his name is P05. Okay. So like, if you look at P05, what does that remind you of? P05, like piece of. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, piano three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he's like yeah. Uh huh. So he's like this outdated robot that kind of like hates human beings. So it's like imagine like. Sheldon from Big Bang Theory mixed uh-huh. with like Kit from Knight Rider. Okay. So it's like my character is hilarious, you know? So it's like the game is scary, but it's funny at the same time. And it's like, oh, just so it's like I got, I'm finishing up the Padre. I'm writing the story for um, Treason in Space. And it's like they installed Unity on my Mac. So it's like I get to see the game in development. Like they, oh, they want to. They want to teach me Unity, like oh my god, like it's so amazing. Yeah, and then, that's really cool. and then Rex, and then Rex is easy because Kevin is so freaking amazing, and he's doing all the work. And all I have to do is do do the voice of of Rex, and and then give him give him a little advice here and there, like my thoughts on what he's doing, you know. So it's just like oh my god, it's so like if you would have told me. 20 years ago when I was 14 that like at 34 and 35, I would be doing all this stuff. I would literally have like slapped you in the face. Like no way. (laughs) There's no way, you know? So this is like, you guys remember when you were in high school, that girl that like 
at 18 was just perfect. And now you see her now and you're like, honey, you peaked a long time ago. Like, you know, and it's like, I literally like a month ago, um, my old high school that I graduated from, they invited me back to talk to the kids about the book and they bought copies of the book for the school library and stuff like that. It was insane. It was like, if Corey goes back and becomes the principal of the school in boy meets world, like that's what it was like, you know? And, uh, I just like, at that moment, I just said to myself, Holy crap, man, I'm 35. I'm going to be 35 and I haven't peaked yet. You know? So that's that's pretty awesome. That's the hope, you know, to just keep doing this and not to be a one hit wonder. And like, like I said, there's a sequel plan for the book. I'm writing another academic book with like three other professors, like on the side, uh, I started a pro wrestling book like a couple of months ago that I'm, it's going to take me a couple of years to write, but like, I've already interviewed like a ton of pro wrestlers for it. So it's like the whole hope is like when I'm finally like ready to die, that I have this nice body of work, you know? Yeah. So I got Google yeah. verified like two weeks ago, which is freaking awesome. Like you Google my name and like my picture like comes up on the side. It's like, Oh my God. You know? Yeah. yeah that <laughs> so, is- yeah, that's awesome. It just feels like if you've ever seen that movie, Almost Famous, uh-huh. like like it's all happening. You know, yeah. that's what I feel like. It's all happening. Oh it's like God. A, a surreal moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's super rad. So coming from you, mm-hmm. um, for aspiring writers, voice actors, or anyone, I mean, what's your advice to to newcomers that are that are wanting to do you know what you do? Like what? Okay. What do you? What do you have up your sleeve that you can offer to our listeners? Okay, so I got asked this question at um, BorrowCon, which mm-hmm. was a panel that I spoke at, like on Father's Day. That's the, I'm like the worst father in the world. I do a panel on Father's Day. No, I did it like early in the morning, and I spend the rest of the day with my daughter. But um, somebody asked me like how to get involved in voice acting, and it's like it's it's a hard question because it's like the way I got in is like million to one shot. Yeah, I, I got so lucky. But the thing is, like, what I will say is, like, go on Discord, speak to developers, let them know what you know, how knowledgeable you are about games. Let them know, like, how you think their games work, what the intention of their games are. You know, like, show them how smart you are. Ask for, like, stupid stuff. Like, oh, you know, do you think it would be possible for me to, like, make a trailer? Do you think that it would be possible for me to, like, play something and give you some critique? If you want to be a voice actor, just throw it out there and be like, listen, I'd like to work for you. Um, Is there something that I can do? Don't even talk money in the beginning, you know? Just just get some – I've been lucky that I've been paid for everything so far. I would be – I, you know, in October – I would have been willing to work for free just to get my name in a game, you know? So it's like, go on discord, go on Facebook, go on Instagram, find indie games, go on Kickstarter, find games that don't have uh, voice acting, find games that, that need, that need help and be the type of person that can fill those plugs. That would be the best advice that I could give for people that want to get involved in the video game industry. And, and, and two, in voice acting, like you can create an account on Fiverr, and do a whole bunch of voices and video game developers will reach out to you Hmm. and be like, Oh, you know, like we need this voice. That's how we got like a couple of the auxiliary voices in the Padre. You know, we needed people to do like one or two lines and we threw them like, you know, a couple of bucks just because we needed that, like that type of voice. But that's a good way to like get started. You know, you're not going to be Kevin Michael Richardson or whatever, but like you could say that you've done some voice acting, you know, but that's the way, 
that's the way that it starts. So it's like, think of like any massive dream that you have. Don't think of it as like one massive dream. Think of it as like a hundred to 200 small things that you have to do several times with increasing proficiency. (laughs) And then once you do that, then your dream comes true, you know? And then like, in terms of writing, it's like, um, like I said, I'm 34. I've written every day for probably the last like 19 or 20 years. And not all of that's been published, but I've made a conscious effort to write like at least in between like 700 and a thousand words every single day, you know, whether it be like just writing about like how I feel writing poetry, writing lyrics to songs, writing. I mean, when I was 18, I wrote seven issues of a comic book. Why? Because I just had the time. I just did it. You know, and now like this morning on the way into work, I wrote a review of West of Loathing, you know? So it's like you write, if you're going to be a writer, don't go to Starbucks and like put your fingers on your keyboard and think that you're a writer. You're not, you know, like write every single day. And then what you do is connect with people that are better than you and tell them Mm -hmm. to rip, to rip your stuff to shreds, Mm -hmm. like not to be scared to insult you. Like what's wrong with my writing, have a thick skin, Yeah, you know, be able to grow. Mm -hmm. Constructive criticism. Yep. And a lot, but that's the thing though, too. So many writers can't take it. Yeah. You know, it's like if anyone ever had anything bad to say about the book, I'd be like, okay. And then I would look at it and either say, okay, you're or right. And the next time that I had to write something like that, that problem would never happen again. Yeah. You know? So that's the thing. A lot of people, they want to create stuff, but then they can't take constructive criticism. So, I mean, there have been times too. It's like one of the, somebody asked me at the panel that I spoke at last week, like, oh, so like, do you just do one take? I'm like, oh my God, no. No, <laughs> like when I'm recording stuff for like the Padre, because like Relentless Rex, like I've done like the trailers and stuff like that. I've recorded a lot of lines for them, but for like the Padre, we're talking like 5,000 lines of dialogue. Like all that stuff was recorded three or four times. And then like a couple of times they're like, you know, that's not really what we wanted. We wanted it like this. And then I'm like, oh my God. And But then I would do it, but then I would record it again five with like five variations of the way that they wanted it, you know? And we're talking like, if they give me like 400, 500 lines to record, I I do it the same day, you know? So they would be like, oh my God, we haven't even finished animating the scene and you finished already. And that's what you have to do. You, you look, if you want to be successful at anything, you look around, you find the people that work the absolute hardest and you work harder than they do. Yeah. I mean, that's like, I'm not the most talented person in the world, but it's like, in New York City, it's eleven twelve right now, and my wife has like got the air conditioner on and she's ready to sleep. My dog is laying on the floor right next to my feet. My cat is like purring on the floor on the other side of my feet, and I'm up doing this podcast. Why? Because I have dreams, and then they need to come true, and I'm going to do whatever I have to do to make that happen. You know, and a lot of people don't know the difference between saying that they can do something and actually doing it. You know? Yeah. So. I always want to be that I, I wanted to be a voice actor and I did it. I wanted to write a book and I did it. I wanted to run my own entertainment website. I did it. You know, I wanted to be a college professor. I did it. I wanted to marry a hot girl. I did it. You know, so it's like, <laughs> that's what you got to do, you know? And that's my best advice. Like your work is going to suck in the beginning and people are going to have so much to talk and they're going to write comments and they're going to not follow you and they're going to do this and that and you just keep chugging you keep yeah. doing it every single day and you're going to get better the talent's going to come yeah so that was yeah that was 
I don't know. Might be some of the best advice I've heard on here so far, Patrick. That was, that was really good. I try. <laughs> and that's the thing, man. At the end of the day, it's like, remember when Luke is running with Yoda in the Dagobah system? Mm-hmm. You know? And Yoda's like, come on, Luke, man. Step it up. Step it up. And he's like, I'm trying. Like a little whiny <laughs> that he is. You know? And Yoda's like, mm, there is no try. Just do, young Skywalker. You know? And it's like, it's the truth. It's like, I hate when people say, like, I try. I'm trying. It's like, no, just do it. Yeah. You know, just just go and do it. And that's the thing, too. So many of these developers that I interviewed in this book, like Rob Fultz, the guy that, that co-developed Night Trap, his girlfriend left him after the game came out. Because, like, the game got such a negative backlash. Mm-hmm. This is the same guy that, like, programmed Missile Command on the Atari 2600. Like, and Demon Attack on the, the Atari 2600. The guy's a legend, you know? Yeah. And then that, that one game basically like ruined his entire yeah. life. So then he goes out and says, you know what? I'm known for creating the most controversial game of all time. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to go and I'm going to create the cutest game of all time. And he created Dogs and Cats. And those games sold over 40 million copies. I'm sure you guys have seen them on the DS and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but the PC version sold like over 40 million copies. And you wouldn't have like Dogs if it wasn't for Dogs and Cats. You know, so it's like this is a guy that his career could have been over, but instead he adapted and he grew and he's now he's remembered even more for his range. It's like, again, we talked about before Howard Scott Warshaw, E.T., Yard's Revenge, you know, like the best and worst. It's not the worst. E.T. is not the worst game of all time, but, um, you know, presumably the best and worst games of all time. But you know what the guy does now? <laughs> he's a psychiatrist in Silicon Valley. Oh, wow. Some, some of his clients are video game developers. Who's the best? Who's the best person to talk to these guys? Him. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like, and someone who's been through it already. Yeah. Yes. You know. So it's like all of these guys are like I learned so much about success just from being able to interview these people. You know, yeah. because they're even though we don't we don't remember who they are, they've all found ways to continue to be successful. You know, and they're all so multifaceted and stuff like that. You know, so it's like it was it was like so invigorating to like interview all of these guys, you know, and some of them went to like Ivy League schools and stuff. And it's like they're just these guys are rock stars, you know, and they that's they deserve this. They deserved me spending the time with them and like showing the world just how talented they are. Well, uh, Patrick, I don't want to have to cut us off right here but maybe that'll leave us some time to have you back on in the future yeah man that's cool um where can where can our listeners find you oh, all over the place so like i said before i'm google verified so we'll search patrick hickey jr and I'll, all of my stuff will come up but also on twitter at review fix um on instagram as patrick hickey jr um you can go to uh reviewfix.com that's my that's my website where like i and like 30 other contributors are constantly writing up video games comic books professional wrestling theater reviews of all sorts on there um if you guys are interested in buying the book it's currently on sale the rest of the summer uh as a part of the amazon summer reads program it's only four bucks digitally which is a freaking steal yeah Yeah. um and then uh, also to, if you go on my if you go on my official site patrickhickeyjr.com, there's a buy now link for the book. And if you buy the book through me, um, I will autograph your book and write something nice in it. I'm also known for sneaking surprises in books. So like I'll give you guys an example. 
Um, I had a guy write me and tell me that he was interested in the book. I never met him before. He was on Facebook and stuff. And uh, he was telling me how interested he was in like uh, video game history and stuff like that. So like, oh my God, I had a couple of extra instruction manuals from like some Sega Master System games. So like I snuck them in there. You know, another one of my friends is a sports writer. So I put like a Dennis, uh, Dennis Eckersley, like Oakland A's card in his, uh, in his book. One of my other friends is a big NHL fan. So I had an extra copy of like NHL 2002 on the Sony PlayStation. So I stuck it in there. So I do all stupid stuff like that. So just to show like the readers that I care. So if you go to patrickickyjr.com, you can, uh, you can buy a personalized copy of the book and I'll do something nice for you. Or you can just buy it on Amazon, Target, Walmart, Barnes and Noble, it's available everywhere. Awesome, awesome. So I, I love that just the fact that you get, you know personal with uh, people that are buying your books and stuff. I love not, signing books. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> not, not a lot of not. I mean, obviously authors would sign books and stuff, but just like leaving a note or something special for them is that's really cool. Definitely an incentive to buying it from you. Uh, the thing is, too, it's like if you want to buy like a print version of the book and I personalize it. Like I had people. I personalized one of their books and they're like, I can't read this now. And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, it's, it's like, I don't want it to get messed up and yeah. dog eared and stuff. So then they went and bought like the digital copy for four bucks, like for their iPhone or their iPad. So it's like for four bucks, it's like, you can do both. You can get like the, the print versions more like right now it's right. on sale on Amazon for twenty four ninety nine. It usually goes for 40 because it's an academic publisher. Mm -hmm. It's like being put in libraries and stuff like that. Yeah. And, uh, but again, I mean, if if you're if you're a hardcore gamer and you want something personalized, something cool, then it's a nice talking piece to have. But if you just want to read something really cool, four bucks is less than a copy of Game Informer. Do yeah. it, you know? Yeah. So that's uh, yeah, that is a steal uh, for so much information that's been provided in your book, Patrick. Again, man, we loved having you on here. Uh, hopefully, we can get in touch with you again. And, you know, you can be a returning guest and display one of your many professional voices that you got see i don't even know if i ever want to come on this show ever again <laughs> <laughs> why is that like i think like just rex needs to come one time with with kevin i think that would be more fun hey man we can arrange that i, tell I think you. that would be great I, i'm lying i would love to come on the show again but i think uh i think rex needs to like have a show like kevin and rex need to come i I, I wholeheartedly agree i loved uh gamerhead's uh, interview with Rex and Kevin. Um, he had me rolling on the grass while I was mowing my grass. Not a safe thing to do, but yeah, you know, yeah. You know, and like, it, listen, dude, that was one hundred percent improv. That yeah. entire thing, which was great. Which was oh. and like <laughs> just the, just their reactions alone, because I, I could tell, uh, I could tell uh, Roger was a little slightly thrown off, just a little bit. Yes, yes. Oh I my just, god, I loved then, it though. The, fe the female with the English accent, like, uh, oh, my God, I think I yeah. scared the crap out of her. Because, yeah. like, they edited some stuff out, and I was just like, just because you have a nice English voice doesn't mean you can interrupt me. And she, like, didn't talk the rest of the podcast. You're off. Oh, no. So, like, when we, when we got off, Kevin, I went to Kevin. I'm like, oh, my God, I hope I, like, didn't scare her. Because she was really smart. She was really nice, you know? Yeah. But it was like she just disappeared, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Kevin was like, nah, dude, it was awesome. Don't worry about it. <laughs> So, but yeah, it's a great content. I, that's for sure. Yeah, I think Rex needs to definitely show up because I think at the end of the day, I'm like kind of close to being a real dude, but like Rex is indeed a real dude, and Kevin yeah. is definitely a real dude. And I, I, maybe yeah. we can get our other co-host to come on when Rex comes on, and with them not knowing, 
what yeah. Lex is all about would also make for great content. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, they probably. I don't know if they have one. More, one more thing, really quick, because um, I'm not sure if uh, it because it's not really spelled out on the Relentless Rex Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. But we had a thing at the end because like we just barely got our Kickstarter uh, funded. It was like with like 30 seconds left, and um, the day before we said anyone that pledged, like the last day, um, I would call up. And have a conversation with them as Rex. Oh. So, so yeah, there's a bunch yeah, of people. Awesome. There is a bunch of people. It was my idea. I was like, dude, if we make some money, just just like let's just say I'll call them and I'll have a conversation with them. And I'm like, dude, I'll we'll ask them before if I can record it. And I'm like, I will just have like a ton of fun with them. Yeah. As Rex. And a bunch of people did. So like this weekend, I have to make a whole bunch of phone. Calls. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> a whole bunch that's of phone <laughs> But it's going to be so much fun. And that's the thing, too. Like, that's at the end of the day, video games are like history and pop culture and stuff. But, oh, my God, it's supposed to be fun. You're supposed to yeah. have fun. Yeah. Well, man, uh, again, uh, pleasure talking with you. Um, you know, if uh, our listeners, you know, they need to go out and uh, check out your book, The Minds Behind the Games, interviews mm-hmm. with cult and classic video game developers. Uh, pick it up. Uh, digitally or pick up your signed copy today um other than that man uh, i hope everyone here has a rad day bye take it easy
And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> all right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.